All right, brothers and sisters, I want to ask you to grab your Bibles this morning and go ahead and turn to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 6 is where we're going to start in just a few minutes. And if you, as I said earlier, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, you know we're coming to one of the high water marks of the Old Testament. Glorious picture here from Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, before we get there, I, I want you to think about something this morning together as a church family. What if, what if every member of this local church called Tri-Cities Baptist Church to the very core of who we are believed that the gospel is good news? <laughs> what if every member who called Tri-Cities their church home was so consumed with the person of Jesus Christ that you could not stop us from telling the gospel and the message of Christ and who Christ is. You, you just couldn't shut us up. What if every member of Tri-Cities were consistently, boldly, faithfully, lovingly sharing the gospel message, this message of that Jesus gives life, this message that Jesus took our sin, that Jesus gives life, eternal this message of the gospel we were sharing that with our friends and our neighbors and our crusty relatives and anybody that God brings into our life what if we were a people like that think about this what if every one of our life groups on a regular basis were bringing into that life group people that did not know the Lord Jesus Christ and that they were connected through relationships and as a part of that life group they not only heard the gospel, but they saw the gospel lived out in Christian community like we talked about last week. And they see how Christians love one another and serve one another and they are drawn to the Savior. And that was happening all the time. This morning as we continue to talk about this prayer series and we continue in this prayer series, that's one of the things we're specifically praying in this church family that we would continue to grow to have something like that that we call a share culture we call it a share 1515 culture and basically that's this taken from John 1515 which says we believe that friends make known the love of God to their friends we believe that every believer every one of you me included, that names the name of Christ, that's been transformed by the gospel of Christ, has the privilege, is commissioned, is called, is equipped, has the privilege and responsibility, what's this, of telling other people the only hope there is that is in Jesus Christ. We have that privilege. And one of the things we're praying about through these 744 hours of prayer in this month of January, as you know, many of you are praying, and man, thank you for doing that, and we're taking those time slots, and as I've said several times before, the, the 2 o'clock time slot's still wide open for some of you, alright, some of those are still available, we want every hour to be covered through the end of this month, we're praying that God would glorify himself in this church, we're pleading that God will do a work in families, and we'll see healthy families, and dad's leading and mom's honoring and children obeying and we, we pray for that we pray that we'll learn to devote ourselves to one another we're praying also that from this church Jesus Christ will be made known by every one of us now if we could just kind of take an inventory and be honest with each other we'd say over the past year as a church we have seen growth in that 
We've seen progress and we hear conversations that are happening and life groups are challenging each other and we're seeing people come to Christ and we're, we're moving towards that. But at the same time, we realize many of us, many in this church have yet to say, you know what, it's my responsibility to make Christ known. And we push that back and we come up with excuses and on and on and on and on and all the challenges that are there. Here's the point. Lord, we want to grow, and God, that this is a shared culture of a church, and that people who meet somebody from Tri-Cities Baptist Church, you're not in somebody's life very long that they don't realize, man, that person loves Christ, and there's something going on in that person's life, and, and you're not in that person's life very long until you realize, you know what, they're going to tell me about Jesus. <laughs> what a culture like that. We're growing towards that, but man, we've got... So far to grow. So we're, we're asking God, Lord, would you produce that kind of culture in us? So I say all that to say as we, as we pray for that, we strive toward that, we desire that. This past few weeks, knowing that this message was coming up and knowing what today is, we've, we've done this. Today we're going to do something we've done a lot in the past. We call it a go prayer service. Basically in just a few minutes, I'll just go ahead and tell you, after I share for just a little bit from Scripture, we're going to break up in groups and we're going to pray together. And we're going to encourage you to pray for those people around you that don't know Christ. And name three names and write them on your card. And then go out of here and look for opportunities to share the gospel. And we've done that before. And some of you are going to take a step to do that. And some of you are going to, for the first time, pray like that. And maybe some of you, for the first time, are going to write a name down. Wherever you are, here's the big question for me this morning. And I, just as one of your elders, one of your pastors, I've wrestled with this for weeks. Our elders have been wrestling with this. I, 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 wanna, I don't want to sound highly mystical. I think God put this passage on my heart just this past week. Here's the question. In our church, what will empower, motivate, and advance us toward a shared culture like that? What is it in us and in our hearts and in our lives that will result in Man, wherever God plants us, we're there to make Christ known. Wherever it is. Man, we recognize we have the privilege to share Christ and make Christ known. And every week our baptism is filled with people that you're leading to Christ. And you're discipling. And you're carrying out that privilege God's given us. Watch this. What is it in us that will embolden that, empower that, advance that, sustain that? over the long haul. Isaiah chapter 6 I think is a picture of that. If you know anything about the passage I'm getting ready to read, I'm only going to read eight verses, but there's a picture here of a man, a person named Isaiah. Isaiah lived in the nation of Judah, the divided kingdom, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Isaiah lived in the country of Judah and he lived in the country of Judah during really a a wicked time. The people's hearts had turned. It's a fearful time in Judah. As Isaiah writes here, the king of Judah who had served for 52 years has just died because he's been infected with leprosy. The nation is very unstable. Their spiritual eyes have turned. And Isaiah is going to experience something in Isaiah 6. I think is what it is in us and what it is in you and us as a church that's going to propel us toward mission. 
Here's the big idea I want you to wrestle with before I read a verse. The big idea is this. The big truth for this week is this. And it just drips out of Isaiah chapter 6. That genuine worship results in faithful witnesses. Genuine worship will result in faithful witnesses. I don't know what your definition of worship is. I hope it's more than a song. I hope it's more than singing a stanza. Or I hope it's more than just raising your hands or whatever that may be. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is going to worship. And as a result, he presents himself to the Lord and says, Lord, here I am. Send me. Because he is caught up into the glory and the beauty of who King Jesus is. It, is. it is my belief that genuine worship results in faithful witnesses. Isaiah chapter 6. Read with me. I'm going to read just about eight verses. Talk about them as we go and give a little application. And then I want this to propel us into a season of prayer for a few minutes at the end of our service. So chapter 6 verse 1 says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, Isaiah says something remarkable. He says, I saw the Lord. <laughs> now the word Lord there is incredibly important for us. This is not something you have to go to seminary to find out. You can just do a little word study that the word Lord here means Adonai. It's not the word Yahweh that's often used of the covenant name. It's the name Adonai. And the name Adonai basically means sovereign king. The word Adonai means sovereign one. So in the time when the earthly king is dead and everything seems very unstable in Judah, Isaiah says, watch this, I saw the king. I saw the Lord seated on a throne or sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. Let's stop right there. The point of this passage is not that God runs around in heaven wearing a robe. All right, see past that. The point is God in his grace is revealing something about his nature. And he's revealing it this way. In those days, a majestic mighty king would wear this royal robe. The train of that robe would just, you know, like be forever and ever. The longer your train, if you will, the more majestic you were. And Isaiah is given a picture of this throne in heaven and on this throne is this majestic king and the train of his robe the temple itself can't even hold it in other words he is glorious beyond description that's the point and Isaiah gets a glimpse of that Isaiah is caught up in that verse 2 it's crazy it's an amazing picture here it says seraphim you say, okay, Pastor Mike, I don't know what that is. These are angelic beings. And these particular kind of angelic beings were given the assignment to attend to the very presence of God. They're created to hover, if you will, around the very presence of God. Their name means burning ones. So these burning ones who are aflame with their assignment that God has given them, these burning ones, it says, stood above him each having six wings with two he covered his face with two covered their feet and with two he flew now what's that all about well again Isaiah is given this picture these these beings are 
They're attending to the, purpose, the, the glory of God. Two wings, they cover their face. Why? Because they're looking upon the very presence of God. With two, they cover their feet. Now, theologians kind of go back and forth. What does that mean? Why do they cover their feet? And there's different conjecture. I've come to the conclusion, I think it's this. In covering their feet, they disavowed any intention to choose their own path. Their intent is to go only as the Lord, the King in whose presence they are, directs and intends. In other words, Lord, you're in charge. My path, my direction is completely yours. Seems to indicate that. Verse 3, what are these seraphim doing? And one called out to another and said, what's this? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So without stopping, without cease, day in and day out, these beings not in a robot, you know, not in a robotic way, holy, 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 but in this response, their only response in the presence of the king is to declare he is holy, holy, holy. And you say, why do they say it three times like that? Well, because that's the way the song goes, remember? We just sang it, right? No. This occurred thousands of years before the hymn. The point is, in the Hebrew language, there is a tool. And if you want to emphasize something that's really important, you say it twice. If you want to declare something to just be amazingly important, you declare it three times. And of all the attributes of God throughout Scripture, there is one and only one that is declared three times. And that is holy, holy, holy. In other words, Isaiah is given a glimpse that there is no being in all of creation like the king. He is completely other than. He's completely separate from his creation. He's not like us. English language and the Hebrew language here was originally written in is very limited in even trying to communicate this. Isaiah is given a glimpse of the glory and the holiness of God. I saw the Lord. He says, verse 4, and the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And that day trembling like the temple and smoke symbolized God's wrath, God's judgment, God's purity, if you will. And Isaiah responds, I mean, how do you respond here? Isaiah responds, and this tells us something about our understanding of worship. Isaiah responds in verse 5 and says, Then I said, Woe is me! Woe is me! A tool of a prophet in that day was to pronounce a woe. A woe means a judgment, or judgment is coming. Here Isaiah does something crazy, and he says, Woe is me! Let me put that in modern vernacular. I just got a glimpse of God. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Woe is me. He says, I'm ruined. The word ruined literally means I'm undone. I'm coming apart. I'm unraveling. And let me just say something. If you had met Isaiah in this day, Isaiah seems to be a follower of the one true God. He's already a follower of God. You would look at Isaiah's life and probably go, that dude's got it together. If you had asked Isaiah... 
He might have said something like, yeah, everything's okay. I've got it together. I, got, I know a lot about etc., etc." But in the presence of God, when God gave him a glimpse of his glory, Isaiah says, I got nothing together. I'm unraveling. There is an infinite gap he recognizes between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of every creature. And Isaiah is face to face with that. And then the grace of God just overflows here. He says, verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in, her, in his hand. I bet that was a little unnerving. <laughs> you imagine how scary that looked in the moment to Isaiah, this flaming being flying toward Isaiah with this burning coal in his hand. It certainly didn't look like grace. By the way, neither did the cross of Jesus look like grace. So this being flies and touches the mouth of Isaiah, verse 6, with this hot coal and says, Behold, this has touched your lips, verse 7, and your your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. If you didn't read that in the context of the whole of Scripture, you might be tempted to say, Okay, well, I guess I better go out and fire up the barbecue and get me a hot coal because that seems to be the way sin is forgiven. Is that what the point is here? The point is here, The backdrop of every bit of this is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the same way this angel flies from the very presence of God, symbolizing symbolizing the holiness of God to pay for the sin of the world. It's a picture of the cross. Isaiah is looking ahead 600 years later to the cross of Christ. Verse 8, and I love this. This is as far as we're going to read. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, If you write in your Bible, I think it might be really good to circle the word saying. Because it doesn't say, and I heard the voice of the Lord, he said. In other words, it's a present tense verb. What does that mean? That means what Isaiah is about to hear, God has been saying the whole time. But Isaiah couldn't hear it. The problem and the issue was not with what God was clearly speaking. Isaiah's ears were clogged and Isaiah's eyes were clouded. But now in the presence of the holiness and the glory of Jesus, his eyes are cleared, his ears are unstopped, if you will, and now he hears the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord says, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah, all he can say is how he responds here in the way that you and I would say, I think, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. So I think what you see in this passage in Isaiah chapter 6 from beginning to end is is a truth that flows throughout the Bible and throughout Christian history is this. Genuine worship results in faithful witnesses. Isaiah says, look, I I saw the Lord. I was undone. I was coming apart. And he revealed to me again how he's the one that atones for my sin. That passage there of bringing the coal out, the word literally is covering or atonement. Again, pointing to Jesus. And then his only response in light of who God is, in light of what God has done, was to say, here I am. Send me. Worship. Genuine worship like this will result in faithful witnesses. See, the contention in in all of this, how how will we grow and sustain and advance in a share culture? All of us, 
making Jesus known. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how much you know or how much you don't know. I don't care if you've been to seminary or you hadn't been to seminary. It is a responsibility, a calling on the life of all of us. But what will sustain that over the long haul? It's not more training. We need training and we'll continue to train. I don't think it's more equipping. That's important. We want to equip every believer to make Jesus Christ known. If we're not making Jesus known, at the core of it, based on Isaiah 6, is a worship problem. A worship problem. And listen, that is extremely convicting to me. Because I can give you a whole host of reasons why there are people in my life that have been in my life for years and I know are dying and going to hell and separated from God because they don't know Christ and I have yet to share the gospel with them. Not an equipping issue. It's a worship issue. It's the same for you and the same for me because here's the idea. Whatever has our heart and whatever captures our attention, whatever enamors us, whatever has our awe, if you will, you will talk about it. You will. You'll declare it. You'll make it known. It'll be part of your conversation. So it's a, it's a worship problem for all of us. Here, here's a couple of realities. Our witness is an overflow of our worship. For Isaiah, the Spirit of God here opens his gaze. And the God he knew about, learned about, read about, talked about, sang about, is now seen in full view. And his response is one of brokenness, personal brokenness. I'm undone. And then it's this embrace that, yes, God atones. And then it's this reality, I must make this known. What else could I do? So our witness flows out of our worship. Here's the problem for you and me. Our spiritual sight grows dim. Our spiritual sight grows dim, meaning our view of the glory and greatness of King Jesus becomes very small. And everything else in creation that is intended to point us to King Jesus begins to distract us from King Jesus if we're not very careful. And basically we have what's called God's smallness. God is very small to you. There's an overflow of God's smallness, if you will, and God being very small to us. Therefore, our zeal to make him known and our hunger to plant churches and our willingness to go to the tough places on the planet and the unreached people groups of the planet shrinks because ultimately our witness is, is tied directly back to our worship. Always. That's why I think Paul in Ephesians 1.18 prayed this, for the believers, for the believers... Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In other words, God, open their eyes to see more and more and more and more and more of your glory. Hey, my eyes grow dim and so do yours. My spiritual eyes grow dim. That's why also I'll quote one of our African partners, Korn Schultz, who's one of our partners, Ethnos International. He says this, and a quote he said many years ago, and it just stuck with me. He said, no one is ever driven into mission. We are drawn into mission. In other words, no one is ever pushed and prodded into making Christ known. But when you 
When you're overwhelmed with who Jesus Christ is, you're drawn into his presence and his beauty and his glory and his greatness. What else can you do but make him known? You're drawn into that mission. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Genuine worship results in faithful witnesses. So the question for you this morning, the question for me is, how's your worship? Where's your attention? How's your spiritual sight? Now I know what you're thinking. Same thing I'm thinking. So I'm reading along in this, and there's some other passages similar like this. You read and you go, okay, well, Mike, listen, if I'm up on a mountain or something, and God reveals himself to me like that, and an angel flies out with some hot coal, and Jesus reveals himself like he did to Isaiah, of course I'll live on mission. Listen to me. You as a believer in Jesus Christ today, on this side of the cross and on this side of the incarnation and on this side of the resurrection and you who carry in your hand the complete revelation of who Jesus is and you carry it with you and it's yours and the spirit of Jesus Christ living inside of you listen to me you have a much more clear much more full much greater revelation of God than Isaiah ever had you hear that my problem is my eyes grow dim And my problem is I get distracted. And my encouragement for you is, brothers and sisters, go to the Word, go to the Scriptures, gather with the people of God, hear the Word of God taught, gather in community, and beg God, Lord, would you open my eyes to see the Lord for who you are. It's worship. It is worship that will sustain us as a church and that will propel us as a church into this thing called mission to cross the street with that neighbor. And I don't want to sound churchy and use churchy terms. That we will be broken for those who don't know Christ and we will be compelled that we are the ones to go to them. And we will be equally compelled to plant churches at the ends of the earth. We will be equally compelled to go to unreached people groups in the earth. It doesn't matter where it is. Wherever God plants me, I will make Jesus Christ known. The only thing that will sustain that is a glimpse and a view and an ongoing life of worship. I saw the Lord. Here I am. Send me. So as I said earlier, here's what we're going to do as a church this morning. I kind of wanted to say all that and kind of lead you through that passage. We're going to spend some time praying together as a church family. And if you're a guest, we we certainly invite you to be a part of this. If you are not a believer and this makes you feel a bit awkward, that's okay. I encourage you just to observe and just watch the people of God. We're going to break up in groups here in just a moment. Pastor Jeff is going to come and kind of guide you through that. But I encourage everyone here to... Break up in groups. He's going to lead us through some specific areas of prayer. I pray it's a season of worship and brokenness. And we go out of here on witness, living on witness. I'm going to encourage you to record three names on those little cards in front of you. We'll tell you more about that in just a few minutes. But before we do that, I want you to watch a quick video. A family of our, in our church that out of a life of worship, their hearts were so burdened for their neighbor to make known the love of Jesus. So we're going to watch that team's going to come and then we're going to enter into a season of prayer together all right so why don't you turn your attention to the screen
Hey church family, we are Dave and Angela Wallace. Uh, we've been attending Tri-Cities right now for about five and a half years. And a couple years ago, we began praying for God to literally just bring people to our door that he wanted us to share truth with. About a year and a half ago, Greg showed up at our door, actually in our driveway. He was riding down the road on a bike. I was outside mowing the yard, and we just started talking. And I think about 30 minutes into our conversation, I realized that Greg was lost, and he was in fact a Buddhist, and just searching for truth. Um, we began just loving on Greg. We had him over to one of the kids' birthday parties, had him over for lunch. We just started building a relationship with him and um, pouring into his life. The Lord just really burdened our hearts for Greg, and, and through prayer and, and time spent in the Word, that we've just really uh, been begging for him to come to have a relationship with the Lord. You know, share week should be every week. You know, we shouldn't be uh, scared to share our faith. And I think up till that point we had been. Um, but it wasn't awkward for us um, because we had already built that relationship with Greg. You know, it's not up to us to transform him. Um, and we continue to pray for him every day. Um, we just pray that one day he will come to know the Lord even if we don't get to be here to witness it.